evening, everybody. What, what happened here? Actually, I went to his bathroom, came back, and then they told me I was You going. urinated on the floor. Diapers for you. <laughs> Don't worry, it's water. This isn't new carpet. All right, everybody got a study sheet? So on Wednesday nights, we're going to be starting something new. Um, Stephen had asked me, said it was on his heart, and I know some of you guys have voiced as well uh, evangelism, witnessing, kind of working through that, um, spending some time talking through that, preaching through it, and then practicing it as well. So tonight we're going to start a series. I've titled it Reaching Your Jerusalem. Um, the title of tonight's message, so it's going to be broken down into a couple different concepts. The first one is Your Life Speaks. Um, so I really want to look at the foundation of witnessing evangelism and really the most important part. Um, you know, the Bible says that our own righteousness is filthy rags. We can go out and do things in Christ's name, and it's just it's gross to him. He doesn't want that. Um, and if this thing is not right, that's exactly what our evangelism is. That's exactly what our witnessing is going to be. So I really want you guys to listen to the heart of the message tonight and do a, a self-examination. Use the Bible as a mirror and reflect on your life. The key verse for this series is going to be Acts 1.8. And I know all you blank junkies are putting in, filling in the blank right now, and you all are wrong. Um, it is not Jerusalem. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in... And I want you to put, this is not blasphemy because we're not changing the Bible. I want you to put where you minister. Where are you at? Whether it's your, yeah, Jerusalem, Jaden's in Israel, the rest of you. Put, put where you're located. Put your school district. Put your work. Put where God has you right now. Because if you take this passage and you break it out, Jerusalem, where you're at right now. Judea could be your county, your state. Samaria, your country. In the uttermost part of the earth, it's the entire world. It branches out from there, but it starts where you are at right now. You're not going to be successful for God unto the uttermost if you're not successful in your Jerusalem. So where does God have you right now? Because that command is directly to you at your location. Key, I want you guys to think about this statement. We're going to go to a, a passage. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 3 to validate this statement. 2 Corinthians 3. It's right after 1 Corinthians, Garrett. You're just sitting there like, I don't know where to go. I got you, man. You are like Scott. You are just like Scott. You're like Barrett. You're like little Scott. <laughs> so the key statement, I want you guys to think about this. Your life is the evidence of who you follow and it will, will determine the fruit of those that follow you. So think about in your life the people that you follow. You follow people that you want to be like, that you want to emulate. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And the people that follow you, you're going to determine their fruit. You know, this, this statement and really the, the verses we're going to look at resonate especially true in parenting. The kids that I want my kids to be, the ministers unto God that I want them to be, I'm, I'm showing them. They're learn Everything they've done, everything they say and they, they act, for the most part at this point in their life, they've learned from me and their mother. They follow us. The decisions we make determines the fruit of them. Look at these verses in 2 Corinthians 3. 
do we begin again? So Paul's talking here. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? In other words, Paul's saying, do I need to commend myself? Do I need to write more letters commending ourselves? No. Verse two, ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. You guys are the proof. You are the proof of what we've written. That's what Paul is telling these Corinthians. Think back to the first Corinthians, the wreck that they were living, the choices that they were making, and then the fruit that comes in second Corinthians is like, you're the fruit. I don't have to write anything to prove myself. You're fruit enough. A changed life is more powerful than anything you can write on a piece of paper. Verse three, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly, fleshy tables of the heart. They were a living example of what Paul was preaching. They were more powerful than anything he could have written down. They were living epistles. And I want to ask you guys, are you guys living epistles? Are you living this, this out? You know, Paul would have been a master at his trade. We read the Bible and we read the things that Paul writes and the decisions that he made. We're like, man, that guy had it going on. That guy was sold out for Jesus Christ. And it's more than just what he wrote, but it's the following. It's the changed lives that centered around what he commanded them to do inspired by the Holy Ghost, and it resulted in changed lives. So people would look at Paul and say, man, that guy knows what he's talking about. Why? Because of the fruit of the people that were following him. It's the same thing in marriage counseling. I'm not going to go get marriage counseling from somebody that's divorced. I'm not going to go get marriage counseling from someone who's never been married. Parenting. I'm not going to go get parenting advice from somebody who has zero control of their kids. Technical advice. I'm not going to go get advice from somebody for computers that's that has never messed with a computer at all i go to somebody who has the evidence of that just like paul has the evidence of that he had lives that were following him your goal in this life ought to be having lives follow you as you follow christ you know your life is the evidence of who you follow who are you following because that's going to determine the fruit of those that follow you we ought to want to change lives we ought to want to have the same testimony that paul has his life spoke, and the lives that followed him spoke, and they spoke the same thing, and that was Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at two very basic components of this. First point, your actions. Letter A, what fruit are you producing? Everybody turn over to Matthew, seven, Matthew chapter 7. That is the one before Mark, the one after New Testament. That's, that's pretty good. What? You guys are sitting in the back next week. Matthew 7. Proverbs 20.11 says, Even a child is known by his doings, whether his works be pure and whether it be right. You can tell somebody's heart by the works that they're doing. You can tell the fruit that they have. What fruit are you producing? Look at Matthew 7.16. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And we know that last part, you know, by their fruits. You know, when you get close to somebody from a distance, you can look at somebody and they can put on a pretty good face. But when you get close to them, you start smelling their fruit and you can start smelling the rottenness in them. You start smelling the bad fruit. But I want to challenge you guys with verse 19. I don't know if you guys remember back when I did the will of God. I had a challenge the first week. I said, what justification are you giving God 
to give you another breath on this planet? Why should he allow you to live another day? And I know that sounds harsh, but really, does why should he look down at you and say, you know what, I should bless them with another day. They're bringing me glory. They're serving me. What reason are you giving God not to just say, you know what, you're done? Look at verse 19. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Devotionally, look at your life. Are you bringing forth good fruit? What is your life speaking? What fruit are you producing? Because the fruit that you produce, your actions are going to determine what kind of people follow you, what kind of people want to follow you. Letter B, this goes hand in hand. Your walk should look completely different. Flip over to Galatians 5, very familiar passage. helping you anymore, Garrett. You're on your own. Galatians 5. I want to break this up a little bit. Can I have somebody read verses uh, 16 through 21? All right, Sam. And then somebody read 22 through 25. Alana. <clears throat> this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, rebellions, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, hold on, hold on. You guys see that list? You see everything that Paul lists out there? Horrendous acts. Now look at the polar opposite lifestyle that we're called to live. Go ahead and read verse 20, 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If you live in the Spirit, let us also walk. They've crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. You see the difference there? We should be vastly different in this world. That's why this is so important, I think, is the foundation of evangelism. Your life is more powerful as a speaking tool than anything you could ever say. And we'll get to your words and what flows out of your mouth, but you understand you're going to have zero effect witnessing if you don't first have it deep down in your heart. If you're not first living living these things out, if you're not first different, why would someone listen to you if you were living like the first list that Sam went through the envyings, the murderings, the strifes, the, all these evil acts. There's nothing different about you. Again, you can put on an act for a while, but when somebody gets up close and personal and they're about to make a decision for their eternity, you bet that they're going to examine everything about your life and Satan's going to look for any little thing to discount the gospel, to discount what you're about to share to them. He's looking for a reason to bring shame to God Don't give him a reason. Don't give him one of those things in that list. Live like 22 through 25. Be different. So that when they're looking at you, they're like, yeah, you are completely different than when I'm around. Why are you so happy all the time? What are you so fulfilled about? 
Why do your decisions, they, they're different, they matter. We'll get to your countenance in a little bit, but we should be completely different than those that were around. Gives you a lot more credibility when you're going to share the gospel. When they come up to you and you're like, what's different? It, 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 it's a great segue into a conversation. It's very hard to give the gospel. When, when you're challenging them about their sin and, and they're like, what about you? Yeah, yeah, I know, but let, let, let's get past that. Sometimes we forget the, the enormity of the decision that they're making. We're brought up in church. Most of you guys in here have been in church your whole life. And we can become numb to how important that is and how serious it is to make a decision about your eternity. People you bring the gospel to, that's a big deal. And like I said, Satan's going to come in in every attempt and try and discredit what you're trying to say through your life. The decisions you make, they matter. Your walk should look completely different. We're not going to turn there, but at the end of James uh, chapter 1, verse 25, it says, But a doer of the work, not just a hearer, you guys are familiar with that passage, a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I want to be blessed in my deed. I want to know that when I'm going out to witness, I'm going to be successful. Be a doer of the work. Don't just be a hearer. Let this Bible change your life so that you can stand up with authority and with confidence and you know that this Bible is true. How, how, how hard is it if I asked, I don't know, Sam, if I asked, don't come up here, but if I asked Sam to come up here and say, all right, give a, uh, a dissertation on nuclear engineering. It'd be pretty difficult. What if I gave you 10 minutes to prepare? What if I even gave you three hours to prepare? You could probably regurgitate it out, but then the second somebody had a question, how would you react? Oh, crap. Uh. Now, how much easier it is, is it to stand up here and proclaim things that you know, that you have confidence in, that you believe, that you love, that you've studied inside and out, that you're living, and you believe the power of it? You're going to be very unsuccessful evangelizing if you don't believe the power in this book. And you'll believe the power in this book when you let the book work in your life. When you can look back on your life, when Satan's trying to cast out into you and you say, oh yeah, there's the good fruit. Yeah, there was God working in my life. Man, it'll spur you to good works. It'll motivate you. Have confidence in this book. Believe it. In your walk, it'll look different. Letter C, a Christian's joy should draw attention. Uh, can I get four readers? Dustin, you're going to do Proverbs 12.25. Gavin, Proverbs 15.13. Jared, Proverbs 17.22. By the way, congratulations, Jared. He's officially taller than Emily. <laughs> Pretty big deal. Uh, Kendall, Proverbs 18.24. The rest of you turn to 1 Peter 3. I was never shorter than my sister, so I wouldn't know. But... <laughs> easy i said congratulations got two big things to celebrate today jacob's birthday and you becoming a man (laughs) blasphemy (laughs) he's getting there he's getting there give him a break we're not going to turn here but in nehemiah chapter 2 there's an interesting statement that the king makes in Nehemiah. We're not going to get into the context of it, but I want you guys to listen to what he says. He's looking at Nehemiah, and he's visibly sad. And he says, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? 
It's a very peculiar statement. You know, when you look at somebody and you see how they are, you have these tendencies to assume it's because of this. It's like my kids when they cry. I'm like, okay, this was not cry worthy. I'm expecting a broken bone with these amount of tears. I'm expecting blood. I'm expecting we, you just found out your mom and dad are leaving you tears. You know, this, isn't, this does not justify the amount of tears that you have. We're not leaving our kids. We love our kids. But if we did, I expect them to cry a lot. We're not leaving our kid. Let me make that very clear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edit that out. But the, the reactions, they weren't like, wait, that's, that's unique. That's different. And the king looked at Nehemiah and he's like, are you, you're not sick, so why are you so upset? It did make sense, which led him to realize it was in the heart. And people can have the same reaction on the flip side. You know, you look around in this world, there is so much dark depression. You know, I had somebody during Thanksgiving. I don't know if I, did I share with you guys? I shared with some of you guys my inclusion moment. We, every day we have somebody who has to share an inclusion and diversity moment. What that basically means is somebody shares a statement trying to make people feel included that are of diversities. I get one every two weeks. So you can imagine I have a lot of fun with it. Um, so before Thanksgiving... Someone shared how Thanksgiving needs to be viewed as a day of mourning because of all the genocides, all these things taken out of context and mashed in. Basically, the attempt, again, of this world to just bring more misery into something that's supposed to be joyful. This world is so miserable. The next day, I had the inclusion moment, so I set her straight with some good history lesson. Sidebar, but we won't get into that. But the whole point is this world, it's like they're addicted to misery. They're addicted to depression. They're, they, misery loves company. Have you guys all heard that, that phrase? It's so true. Okay, well, now you heard it. <laughs> it's so true, though. It's like at work. People start getting out accountable, and they're not doing their job. You know what they do? They try and cast the blame on somebody else. They try and shine the light on somebody else. They want more people to feel the way that they feel, rather than just bucking up and doing your job. So in this world, when you are joy-filled, when you have a happy countenance, you know what it does? It causes people to wonder. It causes people to look at you and go, whoa, what's different about you? Why are you smiling? And it's not an artificial, like my boss, I love my boss, but he has like an artificial joy. And I'm like, dude, you are driving me nuts. I can see past it. My mechanics cannot see past it. And they butt heads because it's just this artificial. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this fulfillment. Even when stuff goes wrong, people can tell that you're not being rocked. You're not, you're not thrown off by this COVID stuff or, uh, you know, say there was a death in your family. You know, spiritually, you have a strong foundation. People will look at you and they will wonder, and that will speak volumes. Just like the king looked at Nehemiah and is like, why are you sad? That doesn't make sense to me, given who you are, what's going on. It's got to be something in your heart. Same thing can happen nowadays with joy in this dark, dark world, because it's not normal. Satan's poured in so much hate and so much darkness. Combat it with joy. Who's got Proverbs 12, 25? Go ahead, Dustin. Heaviness in the heart of the man makes him stoop, but a good man makes him stoop. Yeah, heaviness in the heart, it maketh it stoop. Like a stoop, you know? You guys ever seen Hey Arnold? <laughs> yeah, stoop kid. No oh my gosh, now that goes, that goes way too far back. Yeah. I know, fair point. But stoop, like down, bum, the heart, it comes out. And you know what it does? You know what, you know what that heaviness and that stooping does? It affects people. 
It brings people down with you. Go ahead and read 1513, whoever had that. Mary might make it a cheerful countenance by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. You see that contrast? Sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken, but merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. If I went to your school and I asked you guys, and I asked your friends, hey, how is so-and-so's fill-in-the-blank countenance? Would you say they're happy individuals? Or would you say, yeah, they're, they're always upset about something. They're always ticked off about something. We ought to always have a merry heart. We've been saved. We've been saved from an eternity in hell. There's nothing in the world I would trade that for. But too often I find myself more excited when I know I'm getting Chipotle for lunch. I know it's it's terrible, but and I'm and and I it's it's funny. I'm not gonna pull a Pastor Tom on you. Say I'm not laughing, but it's. <laughs> but but I'm I'm serious though. It's honestly I get convicted when I think about those things. Because I, I I'll find myself getting more excited sometimes, and I'm like, why am I not like this all the time? Even if I had nothing for lunch today, I should still, my excitement should always be bursting at the seams. You have a lot to be happy about in our heart, and it speaks to those that are around you. People are watching you. They're watching your countenance. 1722. A merry heart feels good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the That's an awesome verse. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. How enjoyable is it to be around somebody that has a merry heart? And again, I'm not talking about artificial. I'm talking about joy. You want to be like that to other people. You don't want to dry their bones. You don't want to be somebody they don't want to be around because guess what? You're not going to have a platform to share the gospel. If you have a genuinely merry heart, it's going to draw people to you. And you are going to have that much greater of a platform to share the gospel with them. 1824. You know, I've heard people say when I was in senior high and growing up and then even now as a, as a leader, man, I just don't have any friends. Sometimes you got to, most times you got to look in yourself and say, am I making myself friendly to draw people in? Man, I just don't have any opportunities to share the gospel. Do you ever think you're the problem? The gospel is still right. The Bible's still powerful. There's plenty of lost people out there. Last time I checked, we didn't run out of people that need Jesus. So why aren't they coming in? Look at yourself. 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Interesting point in this verse. Give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope. You know what that means? They see the hope in you. They come up and they ask you. They say, what is this hope inside of you? You know why? Because your life speaks to them. They can tell there's something different about you. Be ready to talk to that. Be ready to have an answer, but you got to have the hope. You got to have the testimony. You got to be public about it. I've had people at work, and I know I've shared about this individual before, the one that passed away a year ago unexpectedly. Like four or five months ago, <clears throat> four or five months before he passed, I remember him asking me, he's, he's like, man, what's different about you? And I was like, you know, all, all credit goes to Jesus Christ. He's like, no, you're a good man. I'm like, trust me, if you spend any amount of time with me outside of Jesus, you would despise me. I'm like, the hope inside of me is Jesus Christ, nothing else. Are people asking you those questions? 
people coming up to you asking you and then do you have an answer are you ready to give them again if they're not asking you they're not seeing the hope inside of your life check yourself your life is speaking something to them it's either drawing them in or it's repelling them a christian's joy should draw attention you have joy each and every day regardless of your circumstances there's no circumstance is there anything you would trade for your salvation i'm serious anything you would ever trade for your salvation no, so there's no circumstance that should ever overcome that joy. But we let it every single day. It's like today, I got home from work. Brandy's like, well, you, you look sad, which is just what everybody wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and I sit down, I'm like, it was just a long day. And I took a 15-minute nap, which I, I hate naps, despise naps. But I'm like, you know what, I, you know what my biggest problem was today? I was just thinking about myself. I was focused on my circumstances focused on man this sucks i gotta deal with this gotta talk to somebody about this gotta do this rather than looking at it from god's eyes and saying man i'm surrounded with lost sinners bound for hell at the end of the day no matter how sucky this day is they could take my life and i'm still going to spend eternity with god god's blessed me with a great job god's blessed me with a great home great church but man it's a lot of it it's perspective and that'll determine the joy inside your heart so those are your actions then we also obviously have your words Letter A, honest conversation builds trust. Flip over to Luke 18. I love this parable. Good night. Luke 18. So honest conversation, it builds trust. Again, it gives you more credibility when you speak, and it makes people appreciate what you're sharing with them when they can see that you're being honest. Because I got news for you. People can tell. People can tell when you're faking it, and people can tell when you're speaking from the heart, when you're absent of pride. Let's start in verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Shall he find faith on the earth? Verse 9, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Can you imagine the nerve of this guy? I thank you that I'm not like other sinners. Even this pathetic sinner right here. God, thank you for not making me like that. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You have a humble, honest conversation? Are you like this publican? You know, it starts with you approaching God honestly, and I would like to think that you guys in here do that. But then taking that out into the world, because people are watching. Are you exalting yourself? Do you view yourself as the sinner that you are? You know, this 
this Pharisee, I guarantee he didn't have any converts. I guarantee he wasn't looking around, especially when he's looking down at the sinner saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. The publican saw the sinner that he wasn't. He didn't deserve it. And you know what it did? It probably motivated him to go out and tell others because he sure as heck didn't deserve it. Don't hoard the gift that God gave you. Because when you do and you don't go out and give it to the world, you're no different than that Pharisee. Speak the truth. Go out and speak honestly to people. Share with them. When you're talking to them, don't give it some, like some, from some mighty point. I remember when I give the good test to people. And I'll go through it, and then they're struggling. They're like, man, this guy's being pretty hard on me. And I'm like, I'm right in the same boat with you. I'm a liar. I'm a murderer at heart. I'm an adulterer. I'm a blasphemer. My whole life blasphemes God. But you know what? I'm a Savior who died in spite of that. And I live every day trying to repay that debt. That's what people need in this life. They need honesty. They need honest conversation. They need someone who's going to walk up to them and just give them the truth. But you can't do that if you're not living it first yourself. Good luck trying to lie through that, honestly. For one, you're doing that without the Spirit of God. Again, good luck. Two, you're just going to make a mockery of this whole thing. You're going to do more damage than good. If you're not walking with the Lord, if this truth is not deep down in your heart, don't even go out and give it. You're going to bring shame to it. You're going to fumble over it. Get right with the Lord. View God like this publican did and then go out and give it and view people just like Jesus Christ did. Just like he does. Ephesians 5, 1 through 4, there's a phrase in there at the end of, in verse 4. It's talking about these things to not have. Get rid of neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient. Conversation, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting. What's jesting? Come on, somebody's got to know what jesting is. Huh? Joking. Yeah, joking. You know, lighthearted fun. Sometimes we can take it a little too far. Filthiness, conversation. Again, people are listening to what you say. And there's limits. You know, we can, have, we can laugh and we can, we can joke around, but got to read the room. Got to know your audience. Conversation like that, you know what it does? It just blends you right in with the world sometimes. I know I've shared with you guys from this pulpit, people make jokes at work and I'll find myself just laughing right along with it. And then I'm like... Would I have said that joke myself? Definitely not. So why am I laughing at it? All I'm doing every time I laugh at something like that is checking the box next to them that, yeah, that's okay. And I'm looking like just like, just like one of them. Your words, they matter. People are listening. Flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The key with having this honest conversation is your heart's got to be right first. Because you can't have pure godly conversation without your heart first being pure, without your heart first being given over to God, or it's just a lie. People don't want that. People don't, they're not going to listen to a hypocrite. Um, let's start in verse 9. So Paul he says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. Why? For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are, all, which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. You're doing it. You're loving the brethren. Verse 11, And that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we command you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, 
and that you may have lack of nothing. You know, and the honesty is a little bit of a different context here. It's genuinely, it's, it's uh, uh, real. It's basically Paul saying, look, you do a great job of loving people within your church. Take that love out to the world. Take that love out to people that are without. And it's the same thing with our activities, with winter camp. You know, I, I remember when I was in senior, I would get so excited for those times. Man, time to just relax. Forget about this world and just go and spend time <clears throat> with Jesus Christ. You know what I did? I missed out on a lot of outreach opportunities. I was focused on good things, on having a great time with the brethren, on having a great time with brothers and sisters in Christ. But man, I didn't take that love out. I didn't take that honest, genuine love, that conversation out to the lost and try and draw them in. Don't enjoy fellowshipping and talking with each other so much that you forget to go out into the world and take that same love. Live honestly with the world. Walk toward them that are without. But again, you've got to have honest conversation. And the key is you can't say the right things honestly unless they're first deep down in your heart or you're just lying. An honest conversation, again, it builds trust. I have more productive conversations with people at work when I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to be robotic. I'm just sharing my life. Then when I try and... All right, so, and I try and fabricate something. Good-hearted. But it requires my life to be in a spot where God can use me. I always think of it as being a, being a sharp tool ready any time that God needs to pick you up and use you. If you're some dull little log and he needs a spear, you really think you're going to be effective in that moment? Always be ready. Honest conversation, it builds trust. Sometimes it takes time with those relationships. But speak honestly, but you've got to have it first in your life. Letter B, you possess soft words of life, so give them out. Flip over to 1 Kings chapter 12, and can I get three more readers? Sam, Proverbs 12.18, Caleb, Proverbs 15.1, and Jacob, Proverbs 16.24. The rest of you guys, 1 Kings chapter 12. find it thanks I deserve that all right let's go through Proverbs 12 18 start there there is that speaketh like the piercings of his sword but the tongue of the wise is health tongue of the wise is health again just like your merry countenance is health is medicine to people yeah soft answer a, a good word but a bad word, it's like a piercing sword. It cuts people. How do you talk? Proverbs 15.1. I have my kids memorize this verse. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but a grievous word stir up anger. Again, you, ha- you possess soft words. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. You have the ability to turn away wrath in a moment, and you have the ability with those soft words, if you've ever thought of this, to turn away wrath for all of eternity for somebody. Give these words out in Proverbs sixteen twenty four. Yeah, is that not true? How many of you guys in here have gotten like good godly counsel before? Okay, only three or four. Man, we're dropping the ball. Is that not like the sweetest thing? 
to sit down with somebody who's like way further along and you're like, I just don't know how to do all this. I got 15 plates that I'm trying to spin in the air. I feel like I'm going to lose it all. And then literally somebody just gives you like a sentence and you're like, oh, you can be that same person to somebody when you give them the gospel. Pleasant words. They're like in a honeycomb. They're sweet. I'm telling you, God doesn't have you in your position, in your school, by accident. There's people out there that need to hear these words. There's people out there that God is already working on their heart, and they're ready to hear these words. He's just waiting on you to take that step out and plant that seed. You guys have pleasant words, soft words. We're not going to turn there in 1 John 1, 1. Jesus Christ is called the Word of Life, capital W. You guys have words of life, the Word of Life. Oops, Eternal life. In 1 Kings 12, can somebody give me the context on 1 Kings 12? What's going on here? What happened in 1 Kings 11? The nation of Israel is, is what? Will never be the same again. Split. You got Rehoboam stepping in. Verse 6, King Rehoboam comes in after Solomon and says, And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do ye advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. What an interesting command. This guy's about to be king, leaving these people, and he's like, How, what should I say to these people? And they're like, serve them. We need to serve people. Go out and serve people, and they will follow you all the days of your life. And the whole goal is that they'll follow Jesus Christ as you follow him. But serve people. And Rehoboam, he didn't take that counsel, verse 8, but he forsook the counsel of the old men, which he had given him and consulted with the young men. He was hard. He was a ruthless dictator, these people. But the Bible is true. Thou will be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them. Then they will be thy servants forever. You want people to follow you? You want people to listen to the things that you want to share with them? Serve them. Don't take the pharisaical high road. Take the publican road. You are no better than them. We are no better than anybody we come in contact with. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. You have an advantage. You have the Bible. You owe it to Jesus Christ and that soul to give them these words. Serve them with your words. Speak good words to them. Speak kindly to them, regardless of how they treat you. Again, is there anything that anybody you come in contact with does to you that would make them deserve an eternity in hell? Let me rephrase that. Is there anything that they would do to you that you would be happy sending them to hell about? You think of Hitler. He's usually the barometer for evil. Dudes in hell, I would say, probably most likely. But even Hitler. I mean, think about it right now. Hell for all of eternity. It's still a soul. Think of anybody that has ever wronged you as deeply and the ones that you don't want to share a good word with. You're like, you know what? They don't need to hear these things. I'm sick of the way they treat me. All right, are you ready to sign their death certificate and send them straight to hell? Not me. And if you are, you got a lot of checking to do. I don't wish that on anybody. Everybody you come in contact with, you have the words of life. 
You owe them the soft answer. You owe them these words. Give them out. Speak them. Speak truth. Your life speaks. So you need to ask yourself, is this in your heart? Is this Bible in your heart? Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Look at your life over the last week. What have you spoken about a lot? Has it been sports? Has it been school? Has it been college? Whatever. What fills your mouth? What gets you excited to talk about? What can you not just, what can you not help but share? That's what's got your heart. That's what's in your heart. Your life speaks whether you want it to or not. It's either speaking good and drawing people in, or it's speaking bad and repelling people that need to hear this and drawing the wrong people in. So you got some blanks on your sheet, some lines. I want to take some time, and I want you guys to write down. So within the context of your life speaking, there's somebody's life or people's lives, multiple people, that their lives have spoken to you, obviously. You didn't just happen to be here. So what characteristics of those around you drew you into salvation? I'm not saying people saved you, but people impact people. You follow people. Describe the lives, the evidences you saw. Even if it was your parents from being brought up that way, there was something about them, there was something about somebody that drew you in, that made you go, I want more of that. I want to listen to that. I want to know what they have to say. Take a couple moments and write that down. I'll give you two or three minutes. All right. Do a couple people want to share? Share about what was different about these people. What drew you? What was it about them that made you want to hear what they had to say or made you trust what they had to say? Evelyn. Good. She was solid through that, had a joy through it. That's good. Lana. saw the hope that they had and it drew you in and made you realize wait do I have that hope to the same level that they do what's different good <laughs> Gavin so uh, my disciple Rob um, when I was going through it just really he, his testimony I really related to a lot because it was just like from like doing drugs and stuff like even though I had never done it <laughs> The real, the real Gavin's coming out. Yeah, this is like really got me thinking like how I live, I act at school, and like really drew me, drew me closer to God and having a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it was that honest conversation. He wasn't trying to act like it was roses. He came from muck and mire, and I know Rob's testimony very well. That's good. Ethan. So I put Aaron Stanley's sincerity when he shared the gospel. It wasn't just like, oh, here's the APCs, here's like a bullet list, here's what it is. Just like how he walked through his testimony and like what made him come to the decision to accept 
Yeah. No, and that's a perfect segue into next week because we're going to be talking about our testimonies. His life spoke, and he was able to share it without trying to remember something. You ever feel like it, it, it's a lot harder to witness to somebody when you're trying to remember all these basic steps, but when your life is real, when God is, is touching you and, and your testimony is, is true, it just rolls right off your tongue. And it impacts you, doesn't it? Because you can feel that it's real. He's not sitting there trying to manipulate you through a, a, a testimony. He's just sharing his life. That's good. Huh? It's not like a high pressure. No. Although with Aaron, it probably felt a little bit like it, though. Just a little bit. All right, one more. Caleb. Uh, when Aaron Stanley, when he put in the time and work after every Wednesday night to just pray and mention the fact that if you're not saved tonight, and that always convicted me. Yeah. That was back at Kids Club, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Even as a kid, you were watching that, and you were seeing the consistency in his life. Rachel, will let you go. I saw your hand up over there. I'll let you sleep, slide in. No, that's awesome. Yeah, they're peculiar people. You're like, what's different? It made you wonder. You were looking at their joy, and you're like, something's different. And so we didn't go there with First Peter 2.9. It's called, we're called peculiar people. We're called to be peculiar people, different. People that this world looks at, and they're like, you are, something's unique about you. And then when you connect it with the gospel, you're like, yeah, I want that. All right, good. So the things that you wrote down, I have written there, we're not going to go there, but Philippians 4, 8, and 9, think on those things. Focus on those things. They impacted you. Why did they impact you? Think about those. It's real life. It's actions. It's honest conversations. Think on those things that touched your heart, that that made you go, man, what's different about that person? It drew you into salvation. And be that for somebody else. Let your life speak. So in closing, from this life and from this hope, so from this life that you have and from this hope that should be inside of you, and if it's not, I encourage you to talk to somebody tonight, or girl, rather. Talk to somebody. But from this life and from this hope, we speak plainly. We're not going to go there, but in 2 Corinthians 3, at the end of the first passage, going all the way back, that we started off with talking about how your life is a a living epistle, how it's written on your fleshly hearts. And then Paul goes through and he compares the, the grace that we have in Jesus Christ with the law. And he says, man, if we were excited about the law, how much more excited should we be about the grace of Jesus Christ and what he offers? Then he makes this statement, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. We speak with clarity. We take, you know, I've, I've heard this phrase before from multiple people. We, took, we take the cookie jar and we put it right down at the, the easy-to-reach level for people. You take this, this Bible and you speak plainly. It's not hard to understand. It's not difficult. You're not fumbling over words. Why? Because you have the hope inside of you. Because your, your life clearly speaks. It's easy to articulate when you're living it out. So I just felt it was appropriate to start with this, your life speaking. What is your life telling people? And if it's not, if it's repelling people that God is trying to bring to you to speak truth to, examine yourself. Change that now so then as we progress through this study, you can make an impact.
you can start putting these things to practice because if you don't have this right, the rest of this, you might as well just turn your ears off. Your life speaks. So what kind of people are you drawing in? All right, let's pray.